Come thou fount of every blessing To my heart to sing thy grace Here is a simple but vital equation for the Christian life. Because God loves us, we should love one another. Sounds simple enough, but a different deal down in the trenches of daily life. Welcome to the teachings of Al Pittman from the pulpit of Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs. On this episode, Pastor Al will take us to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-11. through 11. So let's open our Bibles now for the holiday message, The Love of Christmas. Well, we're talking about the love of Christmas today. We're in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. And um, talking about the love of God, but the love of Christmas. The reason for the season is that God loved us, that he gave his one and only son. Amen? Everyone needs love. Do we agree? Everyone needs love. Uh, no matter how bad the person is or whatever, everybody needs love. In fact, a lot of people are jacked up today because they weren't loved maybe as a child or whatever. We need love. There's a, it's a need within us as, as, as uh, human beings, to, the capacity or the desire to be loved. The problem, however, today is that with love is that love has been redefined, just like gender has been redefined and marriage has been redefined, the family has been redefined. Love has been redefined to mean anything one might have a, a propensity for or a natural tendency for. And of course, that could be anything. You know, I love my car, really. You know, is that really love? What is love? Well, many songs have been written about love down through the years. When I kind of take you uh, back a little ways, amen, put you in the way back machine. And uh, in 1964, remember some of the songs written about love? The Beatles said that you can't buy me love. Amen. You can't buy it. 1965, Jackie DeShannon saying what the world needs now. It's love, sweet love. We need more of it, amen. And then back in my day, back in 1973, and I was getting started, the brighter side of darkness had a love Jones. Come on now, don't leave me hanging out here. Come on, y'all was listening to him, all right? You had, you had a love Jones, amen. Some of you so old now, you don't know what that is, but I'm telling you, you used to have a love Jones, Amen. And then, of course, Beyonce saying, not too long ago, that she's drunk in love. Drunk in love. Well, what is, what really, what really is love? Well, Christmas reminds us of the true essence of love. And it's revealed here to us within our text. That it's not just receiving, but it's also giving. And God gave because he so loved us. We read here at verse 7 in 1 John chapter 4. John writes, we'll read down to verse 11. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might Live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
Today we're going to look at the love of Christmas, the love of God, in four ways. The first is we'll look at the evidence of God's love, the definition of God's love, the manifestation of God's love, and what I call, lastly, the collaboration of God's divine love. And my prayer is that as we consider the love of Christmas, we will be strengthened to love others just as God has loved us. What the world needs now is love, but Jesus' love. Amen. So first, let us consider the evidence of divine love. Verses 7 and 8, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God. He that loves not knows not God. Beloved, let us. That's a statement. An emphatic statement. Let us, what? Love. The Greek word used here for love is not, there's three words for, the, for love in Greek. Many of you know this. Eros, which means kind of a sensual love. And there's phileo love which is a um, fond of you kind of a love or, or, or you know, friend, friendship kind of love. And then there's agapao love, which is the highest form of love. It means to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly. That's what the church ought to be. Let us love one another in this way. How? To welcome each other. It ought to be a welcoming love. I love it uh, when people come to our fellowship for the first time and say, I just felt so welcome. And I was, people hugged me and all this. And I just tell you, you know, it's, it's not my sermons that are keeping people here. It's when you love them when they first come in. Because if you, they don't, they, if you don't love them or receive them or welcome them the right way, they won't hear a word I say. Beloved, let us love one another. Welcome one another. Entertain one another. In other words, you know, the, uh, uh, seek to, to uh, uh, serve one another. Let us be fond of one another. Let us dearly love one another. This is love. Love in the absence of covert agendas and hypocrisy. You know, people will love you, you know, when they want to get something out of you. Amen. You know what I'm saying? But the Bible tells us as believers that when we love people, that it should be without hypocrisy. Love with hypocrisy looks like this. Hey, I love you, brother. And then talk about them all week. Amen. That's love with hypocrisy. Well, I'm just, we're just having a discussion. No, <laughs> you're loving. Your love is hypocritical. It's hypocrisy. And Paul said in Romans chapter 12, he said, let us, he said, let, let, let love rather be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Wouldn't you want to belong to a church like that? Amen. Abhorring evil. Love without hypocrisy. Bible tells us here and John reminds us that the love that we love each other with, that love is of God. Love is of God. In other words, love is the evidence that must be of God and not of ourselves. The preposition of, in the Greek language, of course, and even in English, it denotes origin, the point from whence action and motion proceeds. The point from which action and motion proceeds. This is where our love should come from, love that is of God. 
What is the motivation for my loving my brother or sister in Christ? What is the motivation or the action, the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing? As believers, the love which we express between one another must originate in and from our love for God. You see, here's the deal. I cannot love my wife as Christ loves the church unless I'm loving her with the love of Christ. You cannot love each other the way John is describing here unless it, the, the origin of that love is from Jesus Christ. It must be of God because the love you and I have is, is always conditional. We love people to get something out of people. That's why we love them, amen, because they always respond to our love. But the love of God that we love other people with, it must be with God's love. It must originate from him, not from some selfish motive. Love in the kingdom of God is more than a feeling, more than just a feeling. There are two attributes of agapao love that I mentioned earlier. That is Christ-like love. Two attributes that we find here uh, in this first point in verse uh, uh, verse seven, because he talks about uh, let us love one another. Then he says, love is of God. There, there is something here. There, uh, the two attributes is, is that of commitment toward others and obedience toward God. Love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God. Why? Because he's not walking in obedience. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Man, every time I read that, it stings. Amen. Lord, I love you, but keep my commandments. Oh. <laughs> if you love me, keep my commandments. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, John addresses this love of commitment toward each other and toward God as well. That's what love is. As he says in 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Son, is Christ, is born of God. Amen. And everyone who loves him, that is God, who begot, begot the only begotten Son of God, begot Christ, also loves him who is begotten of him. Whoever loves God loves those who are begotten by God. Let us love one another. I can't say that I love God. I love the Lord and then gossip about my brother or sister. I can't say that I love God and then, you know, talk bad about my brother, sister in Christ. Amen. Because if I say I love God, then I love those who are begotten by God. He goes on to say in verse two, by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Do you ever think about that? God's commandments are not burdensome. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And his commandments are not burdensome when we're walking in love. When we're not walking in love, it's hard to love other folks. When we're not walking in love, it's hard for a spouse, a, a man to, to, to love his wife or a wife to love her husband. When we're not walking in love. If we're not walking in love, if, if God's word, if it becomes here, here it is. If it's a burden for me to love my spouse, I better check my connection. 
If it's a burden for me to love my fellow brother or sister in Christ, and I, I've been around the church a long time, and Christians got all kinds of excuses for hanging on to hatred and bitterness. If it's a burden for you to love that person, then you need to check your connection. What do I mean by that? Well, in the service industry, I mean the, the appliance service industry, uh, I've talked to some uh, 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 appliance repairmen that have said, you know, I made so much money going out on service calls just to plug somebody's refrigerator back in the wall. Refrigerator ain't working, it's broke, it's broke. I told you, honey, not to buy that thing, it's broke. That thing ain't working, ain't heating up, nothing, ain't warmer. I mean, we ain't keeping anything cool, it's broke, you know, whatever. Call the serviceman, guy comes in and goes, all right, oh, here's the problem. Boom, plug it in, that'll be $50. <laughs> Made a lot of money coming by just checking the connection. If there's no power, check the connection, amen. If there's no power to love your wife or, or the fellow brother and sister in Christ, check your connection. And I guarantee you every time something kicked the cord out from the wall. Hatred or bitterness kicked the cord out from the wall. You need to get reconnected in order to love like Jesus. Amen. Now, having said all of that, <laughs> at times it's hard to love people. Come on. It's hard to love folks. As the saying goes, people change, but not that much. I've been quoting that a lot lately. <laughs> people change, but not that much. Hey, here's the, here's the good news. I want you to lean in on this. This is some great news. And that is that people may not change. Listen, but you can. Amen. You've been waiting for people to change and they haven't changed. You've been frustrated. God, I've been praying. God, just don't answer prayer. No, God, he's concerned not about what's going on around you, but what's happening in you. Amen. People are not going to change. They give up on that. If you're here waiting for somebody to change, you're waiting for, you know, whatever, Washington to change, whatever, forget it. It's not going to happen. People change, but not that much. But you can change to love people. You can change. Recently, I was talking to a sister and after one of the services, well, last week, and she was sharing this with me, and, and uh, it, it, she was talking about, just inspired me to, well, she's a chemistry major and teaches chemistry and all this stuff, and, and uh, she was uh, uh, talking to me about ions and, and all of this, and had an interesting take on ions related to communion, and that's for another time, but I thought it was really amazing, amen. Now, I, I took chemistry when I was in high school, but it wasn't in class. So, <laughs> amen. Some of you took chemistry the same course I took. Some of you did, yeah. Right. But she was talking about ions, and I started reading up on ions, and I'm not an expert on this at all, so you chemistry majors don't come up and rebuke me. Well, I did read where it says ions are atoms or a group of atoms that have an electrical charge. And I was reading where it says sodium and, and oxygen atoms uh, are made up of protons and neutrons. Neutrons are neutral and, and, and electrons. And when protons and electrons are equal in number, there's a neutral charge or there's no charge at all. The atom is neutralized. However, when there are more protons than there are electrons, then you have a positive charge charge 
a group of positive, a group, and I thought about the church, a group of positively charged atoms are called polyatomic ions. Now, so I think it's about this spiritually speaking, that God wants us individually to be a positive influence within the church. Amen. And collectively to be a polyatomic explosive, to have an explosive effect upon the kingdom of darkness. Amen. And, and, and then I, I was thinking, you know, to be a positive, a positive follower of Jesus Christ, a, a, a believer's heart must contain more protons spiritually than negativity, negative electrons. Amen. Now, you think about that, and I always want to say, well, what does Scripture say about that? Well, God's always before science, always before man. Amen. And John the Baptist knew something about spiritual ions because he said this in John 3, verse 30, that he must increase, but I must decrease. Amen. He must increase, but I must decrease. The negativity, me, the negative one, I must decrease. The protons, the positive, Jesus must increase. In fact, literally what he's saying there in John 3, verse 30, is that he must continually increase, and I must continually decrease in order for me to have a positive charge, amen, within my relationship with my spouse and within the church, amen. See, it's not just, amen, give God praise and glory. Somebody started to over here, amen. Because here's the deal. It's not, whoa, I came to Jesus and, and I surrendered my life to Jesus. No, every day I must continually, in order to be a positive, have a positive inf- impact in this world, within the church of Jesus Christ, in my marriage, I must continually, he must continually increase and I must continually decrease. Get rid of the negative electrons that's causing you to be walking around with a spirit of negativity. We need more protons, the presence of Jesus Christ in our life, amen? If we're going to love one another, if we're going to love one another, this is paramount, what John said in John 3.30, to having a positive charge, if you will, within the body of Christ. It's paramount to our ability to love one another. You show me a believer who can't love other people or walking in, in hatred and all this kind of stuff. I'll show you someone there's more negativity in their life, negative electrons, than there is positive protons, the presence of Jesus Christ. Every time. Every time. Oh, somebody did something to me. No, it's you. It's you. And this love that can only be gained by us decreasing and Christ increasing is the evidence, John says, that we must have and we must show. Because everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He that does not love is not, does not rather know God. Now, he didn't say that they weren't born again. But he said, you don't know God. What do you mean you don't know God? It means that it is possible to be a believer to be born again and to have ceased growing in the knowledge of God's love. Sitting in church Sunday after Sunday just with a hardened heart and a stiff neck, with a conscience seared as with a hot iron because of years of unforgiveness and bitterness within your heart. Beloved, let us love one another. Because love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God. He that loves not knows not God. You're not in fellowship with God. Because why? Well, we get to the next point here in just a moment. 
But the question I want to ask you before we move on is, are you a positive or negative charge in your marriage, in your church? Are you a positive or negative charge on your job or in school? Are you walking in love or are you walking in the flesh? Amen. Let us love one another. For love is of God. And now we come to the definition of divine love. He says, for God is love. Verse 8, the latter part. God is love. If God is love, then love is God. And what does this love look like? Well, we go to a familiar passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, to find out. If you'll turn there with me, I'm going to read a portion to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Paul says, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, everything that Paul mentions there in the world, you would be something. Oh, you have faith to move mountains? Whoa, I want to go to your church. Oh, you, you feed all the hungry in the city? Oh, you guys are really doing a great work. Isn't that wonderful? You are willing to give your body to be burned. Oh, man, what a brave individual. I want to follow that person. In the world, you're something. But if you have not loving and do all these things, the Bible says you are nothing. You may be something to people in the world, but you are nothing in the eyes of God. And then he says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its, its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. I always do the, the uh, exchanging name exercise here. I put Pastor Al's name in there. Pastor Al suffers long, well, after he's had enough rest. And it's kind. Well, sometimes. Pastor Al does not envy. Well, not unless you drive up with a new car. <laughs> Pastor Al does not parade himself about. Pastor Al is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely unless we're trying to get out of the house and my wife is taking her time. <laughs> Woman, hurry up. Now, I don't say that out loud. Some of you married, you know what I'm saying? You, you think that. It comes out like, dear, I, you need to hurry. I think we're going to be late. Amen. Hey, mama didn't raise no fool. I'm just saying. I'm... Pastor Al doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Pastor Al doesn't rejoice, rejoices rather in truth and all. Bears all things, hopes all things. All things? Come on, now we bear, I bear with that. Two, three years, ooh, all things, all the time? No, no. 
You stumble over it quite a bit when you put your name in there. Here's a name we could insert, the name of Jesus. Jesus suffers long. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade him. It's himself about he is not puffed up. He does not have behave rudely. He does not seek his own is not provoked. Thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity. Jesus rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. Jesus never fails. Amen. His name is the only name. That consistently, because every now and then we might get one or two or three of these right. His name is the only name that consistently fits the description of love. Consistently. Every day. He changes not. Malachi chapter three, verse six says that God changes not. And if God changes not, therefore his love never changes. God is Love. And then Romans 8 reminds us, verses 38 and 39, many of you know it well. Paul said, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Aren't you glad about that this morning? And I can say with Paul, you know, Paul said, I am persuaded. And it's like, well, it tells me, well, then one time he wasn't persuaded, but now he's persuaded. And I can say with Paul, I'm persuaded because God has loved me through my ignorance and my foolishness. He has continued to love me and to sustain me. And I know that it wasn't for the love of God, I wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God's love. God loves you. And nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I love the fact that he said it's in Christ. Not in the world, but in Christ. I am persuaded because God has taken me through a lot of things. Psalm 73, verses 22 and 23. Actually, verse 26 is, you know, I'm planning to put on my headstone when I die. The Lord should tarry that long. Verse 26, but the background of Psalm 73 is the, the uh, psalmist is looking at the world and he's seeing the, the, the righteous being forsaken, it looks like, and the, the wicked are prospering. And he's going, God, what's up? And he's frustrated with God, like many of us are sometimes. And he said, I was frustrated and upset until I went into the temple of the Lord. Then I understood that God, and in the New International Version, I believe, says God had placed everybody, every man on a slippery plank. At any moment, they could fall. They may be prospering today, and tomorrow they would be gone. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And when he realized that, he came to a census, and he said uh, in verse 22 and, uh, 20, uh, 22 and 23 of Psalm 73, he said, I was so foolish and ignorant. I can relate to that. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. I love that. Lord, I might be jacked up, but I'm still yours. I may be a mess, but I'm your mess. My ways are continually before you. I am continually before you. You hold me by my right hand. That is the hand of favor. Did you know that? You hold me by my right hand. My flesh, this is what I want on my headstone, my flesh and my heart may fail. 
my flesh and my heart not may, but fail, he says. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. Why? Because his love never fails. His love is everlasting. Now we move on to the manifestation of God's love. The manifestation of God's love. Of God's divine love. It's found in verses 9 to 11. In verse 9, John writes, excuse me, in this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. That's why Jesus was born. The love of God was manifested. And this is love, he goes on to say, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a, a great theological word. It simply means that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross appeased, it pleased the penalty of sin toward mankind. Christ took our punishment, died for our sins. He satisfied the judgment of sin against us. And through faith in him, we now face no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Christ was born. He was the manifestation of God's divine love. We ask the questions, this, uh, three questions here out of this verse, and that is where, and that is why, and it is also when did God manifest his love? Where did he manifest his love? Verse 9 tells us in the world. In the world. In a more personal way, he manifested his love in my circumstances, in my situation, no matter what I was facing. God is never intimidated by that which intimidates you and me. Some people, some people hear that God loves them. They want to believe God loves them, but they are intimidated by their circumstances or their weaknesses or their past sins. And they feel like God can't love me. Yes, he can. And he does. He loves us wherever he finds us. Jesus was not intimidated by the man possessed by a legion of demons. In fact, when they saw Jesus, they trembled. And they said, oh, it's judgment time come already. They were afraid of Christ. And Jesus cast the, the demons out. You remember the story, many of you. And the Bible says the man who, who was running through the graveyard among the dead, naked, cutting himself. Everybody's afraid of him. They had chained him. He had broken the chains. Yet when he found Jesus, the Bible says after he was confronted with the love of God, that he was found clothed in his right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus. Amen. That's what the love of God can do. No matter how deep in sin we've been. Some of us have been running around spiritually naked, cutting ourselves, trying to destroy ourselves with, with our actions. And yet God sent his love, manifested his love into the world, into your situation to let you know that you can be clothed and in your right mind. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, healed by the love of God. Love was manifested on earth to confront our demons and sins through the cross, wherever God found us. First John chapter three, verse eight, John reminds us for this purpose, the son of God was manifested. Why? That he might destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? To kill, steal and to destroy, as we'll read here in just a moment. To kill, steal and to destroy. So we know where his love was manifested in the world. And why was his love manifested? It says in verse nine that we might live through him. 
God wants you to have life. He wants you to live. He doesn't want you to make a living. He wants you to live. In fact, Christ is our life, the Bible says. The Greek word for live is zao, and it means to be alive. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief has come, but to kill, to steal, to steal and to kill and to destroy. He said, but I have come that they may have life, that they might live, be alive, and that they may have it more abundantly. So why did he come? So that we could live. Where did he come? He came to the world. And when did he come? When was God's love manifested before you loved him? None of us here can claim to say, oh, I loved God, you know, before. No, he loved you before. God was first to love us. He manifested his love toward us first. Romans chapter five, verse eight. Paul says, but God manifested his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we finally came to the church or we finally got our act together, but while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Hanging on a cross, he declared with a loud voice, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Amen. Thank God for his love. Only love could make someone say that. It was God's great love for you and for me. You know, if we ever lose sight of God's love, and sometimes Christians are like this, they think, oh, God doesn't love me or whatever. Hey, if you ever lose sight of God's love, look down and see the manger, the manifestation of God's love, and then look up and see the cross. God didn't just say, I love you, and here's a little cute little baby. But he, Jesus was born to go to the cross because God loved us to die for our sins. And lastly, we see here in our text, the collaboration. We've seen the evidence, talked about the evidence, the definition of love, that God is love, the manifestation, which is what we're celebrating this time of the year, the, the manifestation of God's love, the birth of Christ. And then lastly, the collaboration, what I call the collaboration of God's divine love. You say, well, where's collaboration here? Well, verse 11 says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen. That's collaboration. When we collaborate with Jesus to love like he loved us, we open ourselves, open ourselves up to potential wounds. I think this is why a lot of Christians never grow in love. They're, they grow and they say faith and all this, but, but really they're stunned in their love. I've seen very spiritual people not know how to love other people. Very spiritual. Quote scripture, burp scriptures, every time they burp is a scripture, you know. <laughs> but can't forgive folks to stop gossiping about people. Because they're not in collaboration with the Lord. And we don't want to be hurt, so we want to avoid hurt. That's what we've been told from the time we were born that you're in this world and do everything you can to avoid any kind of pain. But if you don't experience any type of pain, you never grow. Amen. In 1975, speaking of songs about love, there was another song written by a group called Nazareth. I wasn't listening to Nazareth. I was listening to, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire and, and uh, Stevie Wonder and whatever, Marvin Gaye and all that. But 
group called Nazareth. Some of you are probably listening to Nazareth. They wrote that song. Remember that song? And we all heard it on the radio called Love Hurts. Amen? You remember that song, anybody? Just two of us. All right. I'm getting old. One of the lyrics, love hurts. Oh, love hurts. Remember? Love scars. Love wounds and marks. <laughs> Amen. And you were sitting in your bedroom after your girlfriend dumped you. Love hurts. Oh, yeah, you were. I saw you. And it's true to love others with the love of Christ can hurt sometimes. And when that happens, we often retreat within ourselves to a safe place. But the safe place soon becomes a stagnant place because God calls us to love. What does Jesus say about love? Well, Luke chapter Six, you'll turn there quickly. Let's read what the master has to say about love in operation. Luke chapter six, beginning at verse 32. For if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? I, I, I think a lot of people are going to be they've given gifts and stuff to people who love them, been nice to them. And they think, oh, my reward is great in heaven. The Lord would say, no, it isn't. <laughs> Got silent on me. That's all right. <laughs> it's not what Jesus is saying. What credit is that to you? I mean, you know, the mafia does that. ISIS can do that. People give them good things, they, they bless them back or whatever, you know. Even the world does that. He says, for even sinners do the same. What credit is it to you? Verse 34, and if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. I'm just reading what the Lord said. But this is radical when you talk about love. See, worldly love can't love this way. But love your enemies. Do good and lend hoping, oh my goodness, for nothing in return. Woo! I gave them a birthday gift. Surely they're going to give me a birthday gift. I give somebody a birthday gift. By the way, my birthday is also on July. The <laughs> oh, thanks for the information. Because we're looking for something to come back. Husband's nice to his wife in the morning. Hi, dear, how are you? You want me to cook some eggs and breakfast, whatever? Because he thinks he's going. <laughs> Amen. He's looking for something in return. Amen. I'm just saying. But the Bible says to do these things. Hoping for nothing in return. Wow. All right. Stay with me. 
hoping for nothing in return and your reward will be great. Here's why we don't love this way, because we don't believe that there's any reward. Amen. We come on, let's be honest. Can we talk? We don't believe there's a reward. That's why people don't love this way. The Bible says if we come to God, we must believe that he, he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We don't believe that God's a rewarder. So, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll take some guff from that person, but I ain't taking all that. But if we believe that there's a reward with God, he says, listen, and your reward will be great. And here's the other benefit. And you will be sons of the most high. Didn't we just read what John said? Everyone that loves is born of God, knows God. He that loves not knows not God. How can we give the evidence to others that we that our God is God, that we are sons and daughters of the most high God? If we don't love this way. Because when you love this way, it's strange to the world. And they go, man, why do you do that? And then you can tell them about your God. You see? You see how that works? And then he says, for he is kind, that is God, to the unthankful and evil. Well, I can't be kind to the unthankful and evil. That man, that man is evil. He's evil. I'm, and, and I gave them something and they didn't say thank you. And you want me to be kind to them people? He was kind to you. And you were unthankful. And you were evil. Just saying. Therefore, be merciful just as your father also is merciful. And those who are merciful will also, Jesus said, receive mercy. Amen. It's radical. That's like, you know, we think, you know, we got our evangel evangelical, you know, form of godliness lined up. And we think we're, man, we're way off the mark. When we line our, our hearts up with the word of God, whew, this is the way he called us to love. I didn't say it was easy. That's, where there's a, that's why there's a process of sanctification. But this is what he's called us to do. And we can't do it if we're not in collaboration with Jesus, if we're not connected to him. True Christ-like love is love in collaboration with Jesus. Love willing, listen, to take risk. To love the undeserving and unlovable because that's how he loved us. It is risky to stay in marriage. Well, I shouldn't get, I didn't get one amen on that one. It's risky. Like people get married and then boom, they get divorced, you know, divorced three, four, five times and all this kind of stuff. Because, you know, it's risky. And sometimes love hurts. But that's how we grow. That's how we become like the children of the most high God. It is risky to be an active participant in an imperfect church like Calvary Worship Center. Because somebody may not notice me. Amen. May get your feelings hurt. Well, it's an imperfect church. But the Bible says we should be a, an active part of the body supplying what one member supplies to another, what is needed, building each other up, Ephesians chapter 4, in love. Amen. 
It's risky to reach out to those who are different from us. Persons live another lifestyle that you would never live. Or maybe thinks politically different than you think. It's risky, but we're to, we're to love them. Yes, love hurts, but love also heals in Jesus' name. The Lord God said to the nation of Israel in Exodus 15, verse 26, Exodus 15, verse 26, he said, for I am the Lord who heals you. Amen. Because he loves us, he's able to heal us. Jeremiah 31, verse 3, Jeremiah 31, verse 3. The word of God says that the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. God is not drawing people in judgment. He's drawing them in loving kindness. In fact, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. In loving kindness, he's drawing some of you today who do not know Christ. Whether you're here or at Creekside or online. In loving kindness, he is drawing you. He's loved you with an everlasting love. To truly impact this world, the love of the believer must be in collaboration with the love of Jesus. Love undeserved. Love unearned. But love full of mercy and grace. Jesus was born so that we might be born again so that we can love others with the love of God and change and transform the world. In conclusion, Christmas reminds us again of these four things, the evidence, the definition, the manifestation, and yes, even the collaboration which God calls us to in Christ Jesus, the collaboration with God's divine love. And thus Paul the Apostle kind of wraps it all up this way when talk about the love of God and loving one another. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19, for this reason I bow my knees. What reason? The love of God. To the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We got family in heaven waiting to receive us. And we got family here on earth called the church. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. It happens on the inside. That love. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, you got to be connected. Remember the refrigerator has to be plugged into the wall. You got to be connected to him. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. No, I love God, but I don't need anybody else. No, it's a collective effort. Comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's the reason why you do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. Yeah, I can watch it online and sometimes we have to watch it online and we do have an online ministry and I thank God for that. Thank God for those who are watching online today. But do not forsake coming together with other believers. 
Because if you're watching online all the time and you don't come together, then nobody's ever going to rub you wrong. But you need to come together and let somebody rub you wrong and get your feelings hurt because iron sharpens iron so that you can become more like Jesus and learn to love like Jesus. Amen. That's why we come together. The Bible says he who isolates himself seeks his own. But if we seek the fullness of God, we do not we do not forsake the assembly of ourselves. Amen. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. And my question today is, have you received the fullness? Have you received the greatest gift of all? If you do not know Jesus Christ today, here's your Lord and Savior. God sent his son as a gift that we might know his love. John 3.16 says it best. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. His only begotten son that whosoever will believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is Pastor Al Pittman with the holiday message, The Love of Christmas. And as he closed this episode with the crucial question, have you received the love of God? Unless and until you make that decision, your life will be without forgiveness, hope, and an eternal future in heaven. We'd like to invite you to visit our website at cwccs.org where you'll find clear direction on next steps and a full archive of messages by Pastor Al. That's also where you'll find the full information about our church in Colorado Springs and you'll have the opportunity to support this ministry financially. That's cwccs.org. Click under give. Stay in touch weekly for the updated episodes right here for the teachings from Pastor Al Pittman. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.